So, good evening. Rainy day, huh? Unexpected. This time we'll be here. So I wanted to um, elaborate a little bit on the discussion we were having last night with regard to reverence and intimacy and how it plays out in our practice. And with that in mind, we're going to turn to a important and um, well-known in our tradition verse from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, one that should be well-known. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, of course, is the treatise of Rupa Goswami that deals with the whole um, ocean of Bhakti Rasa. What is Bhakti Rasa? And he begins with a, a generic and philosophical, thoroughly philosophical explanation of what is bhakti. And then he proceeds to give a definition of sadhana bhakti or bhakti in practice and a chapter about that. Bhava in uh, bhakti in ecstasy or bhava bhakti in a chapter about that. Then he defines bhakti in prem and a chapter about that. These are the most important chapters. The book is described as an ocean. Uh, Sindhu means ocean. Bhakti rasa means, of course, bhakti rasa and Amrit means like deathlessness, or it also means nectar. So the, the, the nectar of uh, the ocean of bhakti rasa, and he's divided it into four directions, and within each direction, the northern, eastern direction is the, is the direction we'll be speaking from tonight, eastern, southern, um, uh, uh, northern, Eastern, southern, anyway, eastern, southern, uh, northern, western. And within each of the directions, there are four waves or four chapters hmm, to the book. So, uh, in the first uh, section, from the eastern section of the ocean, in the second wave we turn tonight, after the first wave of a philosophical explanation as to what is bhakti. And of course, in his book, I should mention that he has his... Has, it's a book written in Sanskrit, and he makes various points to establish, for example, what is bhakti, what is bhakti in practice, examples, and so on and so forth. And uh, he supports his verse with references to the Gita, to the Bhagavatam, to texts that are universally accepted within the whole of Hinduism, the whole of Vedanta, and all the different strands of Vedanta. So it is the most comprehensive treatise on what bhakti is. There is another treatise called Narada Bhakti Sutras that predates this book considerably, and he does reference it well, he references Nard Pancharatra. Uh, Nard, of course, is a great bhakta, and there's several texts attributed to him. But uh, Nard Bhakti Sutras could be said to be another book about bhakti, but it, and it is, uh, defining it and so forth. It's it's more vague, however, than uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So it's a, it's a great uh, contribution. And, it, and, of course, Nard Bhakti Sutra does not really speak much about bhakti rasa. Hmm? 
Um, so, very important text. And bhakti is a popular thing these days, popular idea anyway, popular word. Um, and I, a lot of people seem to think, and understandably so, that it, it, it means uh, some expression of your heart and everybody has some love, some devotion. And that's not entirely untrue, but, but in reality what we're talking about in terms of bhakti as a, as, as a yoga, as a practice, bhakti and ecstasy, bhakti and prema, this constitutes the ingress of, of the uh, shakti that governs the leela of Krishna into the sadhaka's life. Just like there's a shakti that governs the material world, we call it the maya shakti. It's magical. Hmm? Things come and go. And it's kind of to personify that, kind of like a, you know, like a... a, a a person who draws the curtain and sets the stage and for the next scene and so forth. So, Lila Shakti, Swarup Shakti, um, and is that um, like what, that Shakti that follows Krishna like a shadow, so to speak, and whatever is desire, it manifests it in, in the context of Lila. So, this Shakti coming through the Guru Parampara into our lives uh, is what it engages us in in, in bhakti. <clears throat> so the importance that comes from up to down, it's not, that is to say, something that's inherent in, 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 in all respects in the jiva. The jiva has some capacity to love. It is an, it's an object of love. Hmm? And in this world, it's what's lovable. Not the things, but the things that we're attached to is what we like because we're in them by way of extending ourselves. And so it's, as I've often said, it's, it's us that we love. The Atma's lovable. Hmm? We're an object of love. Hmm? But bhakti means love in which the self reposes itself in Bhagavan. Bhakti rasa requires two. Hmm? The object of love and and the lover. So the object has to come into one's one's life. <clears throat> and it does, for example, in the form of the holy name, and this is a prominent form of bhakti. So here we are now going to the second wave in the Eastern Division, and the discussion here is something called Raganuga Bhakti. So there is been preceding this in this in this particular wave is a long discussion of Vaidhi Bhakti. Vaidhi Bhakti means Bhakti that is uh, in, motivated by the scriptural injunctions that tell us this will be bad for you, this will be good for you. Hmm? Rag Bhakti, on the other hand, is motivated by, by Rag, by attachment for Krishna. Hmm? Vaidhi Bhakti is a discipline unto itself. Rag bhakti is a discipline unto itself in one sense. In that Vaidhi bhakti as a discipline unto itself will lead to reverential love of God like the love of Narayan we find in Vaikuntha. Rag bhakti on the other hand as it practice unto itself will lead to love and intimacy in, in the Brajalila of Krishna. Hmm. However um, How will you practice rag bhakti if you don't have any rag? Hmm? Rag means attachment. It's 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 a powerful word. 
just like we have attachment to things, and they really define us. Our attachment to things that they drive us, they that animates us, that our movements and life uh, kind of orbit around our attachments. That's why I say we are our attachments, materially speaking. So to dismantle them is to uh, to let go of them is to is to dismantle the false sense of self. It's it's no easy task. Um, so given that we have attachment in this world. Where's the attachment for Krishna? Like we see, for example, in the inhabitants of Vrindavan, who, in the Leela, if, if the, amongst Krishna's coward friends, if Krishna goes behind a tree for a moment, they, they faint. Hmm. So, as sadhakas, then, um, we don't feel like that. You might come to the Arctic, you might not. If you don't, then you will not call your progress very, very readily. But uh, you can very practically just to give a crude example, see the difference. They're dreaming about Krishna. Uh, if you can call it sleep at all, in the context of Leela, it's asleep, but they're dreaming about Krishna, only to get up and and uh, and associate with him in love and intimacy, but that love and intimacy has a basis of service. In other words, it is a basic serving ego that crystallizes into a particular expression of love. In other words, if you love someone, then you want to serve them. Mm-hmm. So there's no question of loving Krishna without serving Krishna. So the loving sentiments that we see in the Brajalila of Krishna that sometimes appear to be not, not to be service, like Mother Yasoda is tying him up in the Damodar Leela because he's stolen butter and distributed it to the monkeys and made a, made a mess. And we'll think, well, what kind of people come and offer the flowers to Krishna and folded hands and Mother Yasoda's tying him up you know, in Vatsalya Rasa. <laughs> what kind of bhakti is that? What kind of love is that? So uh, it's hard to understand at first. Hmm? So a considerable amount of philosophy and theology is, is, re- is required to properly conceptualize it and then have the opportunity to systematically approach it. Basically, what I'm saying here at the moment is that there, it's based on a serving ego that that develops in a particular way, hmm, that expresses itself as parental love or as romantic love or friendly love. And in friendly love, Krishna's friends are engaged in intimate association with him, mock fighting. Sometimes they defeat him and wrestle him to the ground and so forth. Again... From the perspective of Vaikuntha, that looks like, what are you doing? That's God. How can you be you know, dealing with him in that way? Hmm? Um, but the ego behind this, in, the, in a sense that ego means identity, uh, is that of a serving ego. And this, then, is in contrast to the ego of our material life that is basically an enjoying ego. Hmm? We look at the world as if it's something for us to enjoy. We think ourselves to be our senses. And so we're, we're indulging in, in tasting and smelling and seeing and so forth. Um, what our mind that manages the sensual input dictates or determines is good or bad and a w- world of goods and bads and happies and sads 
is uh, mentally, you know, where we live, so to speak. It's a very small world that it's not even comfortable for us, but we think everybody should be willing to live within it uh, so that they're unreasonable. But to come out from under this is is to, in the basic sense, to transform an enjoying ego into a serving ego. Hmm. Now, our way of doing that, of course, is in bhakti is to engage our senses in relation to sense objects only for the purpose of serving Krishna. It's like uh, Krishna's given an example in the Gita of the tortoise. The tortoise, when he needs to, extends his limbs and goes, otherwise he pulls them in like this. So the senses will go out, hmm, uh, organized by a controlled mind and guided by purified intelligence coming from the, the uh, revelation hmm, in such a way that the samskaras, the samskaras, the tendencies and all that I've built up in my chitta hmm, no longer become the guiding force and I'm acting habitually with no opportunity for will hmm, to do something willful. I'm habitually acting because I acted in the previous life. I acquired a tendency in this life Tendency is now driving my life, and the opportunity for the self to be itself, which is in a sense a unit of will, is very much diminished. Where it's a very kind of deterministic um, reality and um, self-perpetuating kind of material existence. So to come out of this, this is, this is a huge, um, a huge affair, and so. With a when a, with a powerful persons can come into our life, sadhus and so forth, and it's also powerful experiences, in a sense, from the world that can uh, shake us for a moment as to how we're proceeding and the wisdom of that, or uh, or how it's not wise and and so forth. Then, in a general way, but with a guru, then we can go about it systematically, changing the course from a serving from an enjoying ego to a serving ego. Um, <clears throat> so, I'll just give another example. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur defined humility in a very nice way. He said, humility is the absence of the enjoying spirit. When we look at a thing with a desire to enjoy it for our mentally conceived sense of self, hmm, egoic self, then we really take the life out of it. We, 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 instead of have, allowing it to have its own purpose in relation to God, in the mind of God, we're looking at it from another, from a narrow perspective, from our mind, how it can be utilized. And this is, what, this is exploitive. It's... It's not allowing the thing, in a sense, to be what it is or to be seen for what it is. So we don't see the whole picture. We see a, an erroneous picture, uh, one that's, that seems to serve our um, enjoying sense of self. And, um, and really, it, 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 uh, it can't be served. That, that self can't be maintained. So it's, this is a very problematic Existence, material existence, the pursuit of preserving the material ego, and uh, and so on, and we're fighting wars for that. Uh, <laughs> this is the real war, though, to fight against the ego, uh, to uh, and to re- retire him hmm, altogether. So, 
following the that that uh, insight of Bhakti Sarasthi Thakur that humility is the absence of the enjoying spirit, we find that humility in in Bhakti Sadhana corresponds with the stage of Nishta. Nishta is the stage where uh, having having had initial association with sadhus, sadhu sangha, some faith in bhakti in relation to Krishna awakens. And so then what happens is we, following that faith, we seek association in a more systematic way. And in the context of that association, in the pursuit of our faith, in the company of others who are faithful, where we'll have a chance to flourish, these are the steps. From shraddha, faith, from some initial sadhu sangha comes faith. From that faith, again, we seek association with other like-minded persons so that our faith may flourish. In the context of that association, we find a particular sadhu, in this case a Vaishnava, who represents the teaching by example and by precept in a way that's very compelling and we, in, in, in relation to whom we feel um, our, our, our prospect for spiritual life is um, will be very much... Um, Nourished, it's almost a feeling of I, I, I must make a connection here, a formal connection here, uh, for guidance. It's in my is in my interest. It's I'm compelled um, by the example and by the precept. Um, so, therefore, we find in the context of that sadhu sangha our guru. Then the guru gives us the initiation, and he gives us parameters to live within, and a certain uh, practice. We call bhajana kriya. You will chant this many times, and you will do the so on and so forth. As we practice in the stage of bhajana kriya, what happens is we come to a stage of anartha nivritti. Anartha means false values, unwanted things, false values, values based on my egoic, enjoying sense of self that are retired. Gradually, as I progress, I may understand them to be um, valueless theoretically, but I still harbor them to be valued or perceive them as valuable in terms of how I actually conduct myself, my life, without almost thinking about it. So to, to, to move from the theoretical to the practical and uproot and discard, I should say, uh, these, these anarthas, this is very, takes very serious sadhana. Hmm? That's why I say sometimes it, we can speak, and sometimes we can speak in a compelling and a beautiful way about the ideal. Hmm? Love of God, bhakti in ecstasy, bhakti in prem, what is the brajlila, and so forth can be very compelling, but we have to speak equally, if not more, about what it takes to go there. That's when people don't find it as interesting, usually. <laughs> then it becomes, it's, we're really then confronting the, con- the condition that, we, that, the, the, that the aspirant finds himself in and the need to change. Hmm? Um, like... Uh, um, Krishna Das told me he's, he's here. He's a student of mine from long back that got very distracted many years ago and has been distracted for a long time. Um, he told me the other day, he said, "I've been used to doing whatever I want whenever I want." 
And so to change that, again, this is, is very difficult. And this is basically what we want in material life. We kind of want to do whatever we want whenever we want. Of course, we can't do whatever we want whenever we want. But the tendency to be like that comes from the fact, in one sense, that Krishna does whatever he wants whenever he wants. And we're the part and parcel of Krishna. So the secret is, if you want to do whatever you want whenever you want, then want to do what Krishna wants. And then you'll be the vehicle for that, and you can do whatever you want whenever you want. And be young, so to speak, forever. Hmm? So, uh, so at any rate, it's uh, it, it, the, it, the Bhajana Kriya stage, it, through where we come to the stage of Anartha Nivriti, where the principal Anarthas, like lust, uh, greed, avarice, um, are, are, are retired. Hmm? and many others, they're retired. To come to this stage is, requires a practice that has been uh, uh, described by Puja Patridamarsh, for example, as uh, conduct, one conducted with an attitude of do or die. I must do this. I must fulfill my vow to chant this many times, to rise at this time, to... This is yoga. This is where we controlling in the context of bhakti our senses, which and our minds, which want to take us here. Rather sleep late feels feels good to my body. In bhakti, we say, in sadhana bhakti, we're practicing this limb of surrender that's called, um, well, accepting things anukul particular, accepting things favorable favorable for bhakti, rejecting things unfavorable for bhakti. So, you see how it works. What may be favorable to my mind and senses may not be favorable for bhakti. For example, we rise early here to attend the program in the morning. That's favorable for bhakti. It may not be favorable for my mind or my body. And similarly, there may be things that are, that are unfavorable for bhakti that I like to do. I mean, by contrast, I may like to sleep late but it may not be favorable for bhakti. So the sadhaka gradually understands these things, and because he or she wants bhakti, lets go of the things that are unfavorable, embraces the things that are, that are favorable, and in this way, practically, in a practical sense, begins to transcend the dualities of the mind, which determine artificially what's good, what's bad, what makes me happy, what makes me sad. What makes you happy and makes you sad in terms of your egoic sense may have nothing to do and usually it doesn't, with what will make you happy in reality as, 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 a, as an atma, as a unit of consciousness. So uh, when we're living in this world of dualities of happies and sads that are created by the mind and senses, we, we find uh, favorable things and unfavorable things and make them our happiness and they make them our, uh, our, our wanted and unwanted things. Material life is basically pursuing things that we want and trying to avoid things that we don't want. Hmm? So we make what is our wanted things that is favorable, what is favorable to bhakti, what is unwanted, what is not favorable to bhakti. And then we transcend the self-created, sense-created, mind-created dualities. Hmm? We come to uh, rise above those dualities and then we're in a position to move in the, in the realm of bhakti, so to speak. Hmm? So... So this spiritual practice is very um, uh, has to be taken up very seriously. It's uh, it requires some austerity, and it requires some enjoyment. 
Hmm? Requires austerity, for example, of, of rising early. It may require, require the enjoyment of honoring the prashad, which is cooked very nicely for Krishna and tastes very good and so forth. So it is an, it's enjoyable. So for Krishna's service, we'll enjoy. For Krishna's service, we will um, do things that are unenjoyable in terms of my mind and, and senses and so forth. So, um, you know, while it may look, in one sense, at, at a glance, to be one thing, um, the bhakti is not just some sentiment. Hmm? I love God. Yes, I think loving God is good. I mean, that's a good conclusion. But what it constitutes, what it means, it, it requires, as I say, retiring this, this exploiting, enjoying ego, which makes me the center, hmm? uh, uh, and putting... Krishna in the center, so it's so it's a yoga. It's it's as, as certainly as um, as uh, in one sense austere of a path, rigorous of a path, um, as um, any other spiritual discipline worth its uh, salt, so to speak. Enlightenment is is not going to happen. Um, Without some effort, I realize there are some people that say the effort is a problem and you're already enlightened and so on and so forth and just have to make an effort to let go or something like that. But there's a lot of things that go on in the community in the West here, um, I believe, in the name of spiritual life that, that, um, that may not help us really to arrive at the position that um, is, uh, is often talked about. So at any rate, here we... <laughs> We have a strong lineage, good examples of persons who... This is not a, a new lineage. I mean, it's been around for a long, long time. So it has some credibility in terms of results, line of siddhas and so forth. So it's like you want to go to school. Well, you know, you could go to a uh, community college or you could go to Harvard, you know, where there's ivy growing on the wall. And it's been around for a long, long time. It's produced um, uh, learned people, educated people, and and so on, just to give an example. So, um, at the same time, of course, we, we, we're sensible, we adjust the tradition in terms of modernity or post-modernity, the times we live in terms of how, how we speak about it. Uh, we live in a particular culture uh, of, of the West here, uh, and different from India, and so we um, may adjust. There are certain cultural elements at the same time from India and India's past that the tradition finds its roots in that are worth carrying over. They're cultural and sattvic sensibilities as opposed to rajasic and tamasic cultural sensibilities that we forgo, just like eating. Well, we forgo the rajasic and tamasic, uh, let's say, the, of, 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 uh, of, of um, animal slaughter, meat eating, and so forth, become vegetarian, so on. So... Uh, so anyway, serious, serious practice, and this all this serious practice uh, in sadhana bhakti, we're getting we're advised um, along these lines by the sacred text, by the guru, the sadhu, and what that amounts to is a prominent manifestation of knowledge, knowledge in relation to bhakti. Hmm? Now, knowledge is one of the opulences, hmm? so it does foster some reverence. Some, like, wow, Swami, that was great. Or, wow, I read that text and I feel like indebted, something like that. So um, the guru 
invariably, and the sacred texts uh, tend to foster some reverence and and should be they should be um, regarded. It's like when I speak, I always offer my pranams to my my guru, uh, seeking his his uh, grace, and so that I may have the power to uh, engage in the task of explaining the teachings in a relevant way, and so on. Um, so here is an example, then, in a school that pursues intimate love where there is a place for reverence in terms of how it's coming to us. And when the guru gives us various, various instructions of you should do this and do that, there's some vaiti, some regulations, and so forth. Now, I said vaiti bhakti is the path that leads to reverential love, and rag bhakti leads to love and intimacy. But again, if you don't have rag, if you have rag for things, then it's a problem. How can you just love Krishna hmm? and follow by taste, so to speak? So generally, depends on, of course, previous lives and whatnot, but generally devotees come and not on the basis of rag for Krishna, we don't get too many new students that already have a taste for Krishna, which which corresponds with not having a taste for the world. And to some extent, obviously, we don't have a taste for the world. That's why we're here. But still, the world is in the head, in the mind, and it's in the heart. Even if we, you know, are not physically or mentally or intellectually absorbed in whatever the world is about, I often say that a monk comes to the monastery. And for some time may think, what of what consequence is my monastic life to the world? But if he pursues, is successful in his pursuit, he or she starts to think after a while, of what consequence is the world to my life as a monastic? This is what the world kind of should be about, so to speak. We are very marginal group over here, very radically different than, than uh, the mainstream society. So, so given, that the fact, given the fact that we come without a taste, hmm, how do we harmonize this? That Why do we come? Well, we have come to this path, I have come, you have come to this path, because of following somebody who has a taste. Hmm? It's like I met my Gurudev, he was spontaneously attracted to Krishna. I became attracted to him. So those of you who are my students who hear from me, you find it compelling. You find it, you're naturally drawn to my explanation, example, and so forth. So, and I'm attached to Krishna. So, and so you have some kind of entry level into the path of Raga, by way of being attached to someone who's treading it. Although you yourself don't have any any rag, any rati, any bhava, any ruchi even. So Jiva Goswami has explained that while there are the two paths, there is also kind of an in-between a position that um, he terms ajata ruchi, Raganuga Bhakti. Raganuga means to follow in the way of the inhabitants of Vrindavan, Mother Yashoda, the Radha, the Krishna's friends, Sridam, Sudam, how they love Krishna, to follow in that way. Hmm? But 
he says, Raganuga. Anuga means to follow, rag, ajata ruchi, without ruchi. They have ruchi, they have taste, they're driven spontaneously. He says, so you can be an ajata ruchi raganuga bhakti, you can follow the rag bhakti without the taste, by being attached to someone who has the taste and following the guidance of such a person. And in that situation, then, all of the elements that are involved in the practice of Raganuga Bhakti are not fully in place. Some will come in place later as the taste develops, as the world uh, is, is um, as we let go of it, as it lets go of us, truly really as we let go of it. <laughs> We're holding it, it's not holding us. Uh, then certain elements can be, uh, will be adopted, part of our practice internally and so forth. They cannot be adopted um, beforehand because one doesn't have yet the eligibility, doesn't have the taste. So there's a mixture then of this vaiti and rag, hmm? some mixture. It's also an orientation. One engages in the vaiti with an orientation not to attain reverential love, but to attain um, Braj Bhakti. And so you'll have a corresponding deity. The deity would be Krishna. Or here we have the deity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Or uh, in, in Madhavam, we have the deity of Krishna and Balaram. In Saragra, we have the deity, deity of Radha and Krishna. So these are Ragmarg deities. Hmm? Manifest, manifestations of Krishna uh, in Leela, in the Ragmarg. So we're doing Vaidhi, but our goal is not Vaikuntha. Our goal is the Brajalila, and we have a corresponding deity hmm, for that. Hmm? And a, a corresponding orientation to the texts as well. But, like, similar to Vaidhi Bhakti, we have some rules, guidelines, regulations, and so on and so forth that, uh, that are, are followed hmm, and are very useful for this weaning ourselves, if you will, from the enjoying ego and, and cultivating, developing, growing the serving ego. So, here Rupa Goswami says in this verse, he says, Seva sadaka rupena sudha rupena chatrihi tadbhava lipsuna karja vrajalu sarata. He says, He's begun to talk about Raganuga Bhakti, and he says, in Raganuga Bhakti, this is a form of sadhana, a form of practice, hmm? uh, as I say, driven by taste, he said, ultimately, uh, he says that there are two bodies hmm, that one practices this Raganuga Bhakti in. Seva, sadaka, rupena, siddha rupena, chatrihi. Seva means service. Service in a sadaka rupa and a siddha rupa. Rupa means form. Uh, siddha means perfect. Sadaka means practice. There's a practitioner's form and there's a perfected form, he says. And in both of these bodies, hmm, one pursues Raganuga Bhakti. Now, the sadaka rupa or the sadaka deha, deha is another word for body. It's often referred to in that way. Sadaka deha, sadaka rupa, form. Rupa means form. Deha means body. The sadaka deha is 
thought to be given formally with the blessing at the time of initiation. And it has its ornaments. It's decorated with the tilak in 12 places. It has a, has a uniform. It has a, has a seeker like this. For the monastics, at least, I'm, I'm, means I'm a servant, is the idea. Um, as many, um, it wears the, 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 the neck bead of Tulsi uh, and so on and so forth. These are um, uh, kind of a, well, I sometimes I say when I give these at the time of initiation, I tell the devotees, you may have heard that this will protect you. Hmm. How will it protect you? Because people will see it and they go, oh, those are nice beads. Where'd you get those? If you happen to be out doing something. Uh, shopping for Krishna, so give me an opportunity to speak about Krishna. Oh, I got these for my guru and so forth. Or they, sometimes we find devotees have the beads and they may be about to deviate from the parameters of which they should live in. And someone might say, where'd you get the beads? And they go, oh. Or they might say, oh, you're a devotee. Right. And then they protect us in that way. So it's useful. Hmm? Uh, you know, if a military man wears the uniform, it, it has some power, so to speak. You know, you've got the power, you've got the stripes. It, you, you, this is your, you're in the uniform, and this is what you do. You look weird doing anything else in, in a military uniform. So the uniform, it has some power to it. Hmm? That's why they wear it. And it also speaks to other people as to, you know, who you are and what your 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 duties, your tasks are, and so on and so forth, how you should be conducting yourself, and so on. So, um, so the sadhaka day, different, different ingredients to that are given, and overall, of course, it, it's the imparting of the, the mantra, and then a, a, a lifestyle and parameters to live within, which that uh, will call our progress. Now, this... In, in this regard, we have the example of our guru of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and he's his, his associates. So here he says, Seva sadaka rupena siddha rupena chatrahi tad bhavalipsunakarya brajalokanusarata. Second line says, tad bhavalipsuna and tad bhavalipsunakarya brajalokanusarata. It speaks of a description of how to engage both of these bodies. So far we're only talking about one, the sadhaka deha. With regard to that he says, brajulok, brajulok anusarata. Hmm? One should follow the brajuloka people with one sadhaka deha. So who are the brajuloka people? Well, you might think they're the gopis and the gopas, so I should dress up like a gopi and um, start acting like gopis act. And gopis didn't take initiation, they didn't have a guru, um, they don't follow so many rules and so forth. So, if I'm going to follow Raghavakti in my sadhana bhak, in my sadhakadeya and follow in the footsteps of the Brajaloka people, then I don't have to do any of these things. And it's kind of how you were thinking. You'll be like, well, you know, we're going to. Why are we doing these things when we're supposed to be um, worshiping in, uh, or loving in, in intimacy? And those examples are there of Mother Yashoda. So, we should. T- you know, tie Krishna up instead of offering him a, a, a lamp or something like that. We should. Uh, so, so, 
there was a sect some hundreds of years ago that began to interpret this verse of Rupa Goswami in this way. Hmm? And so instead of wearing, for example, the dress of a renunciate, they put on a sari, like a gopi, hmm? and, um, and tried to act in a, in a womanly way, and so on and so forth. And, and it's, uh, it sounds a little silly in one sense, but it was a very sophisticated um, um, treatise of a number of books that were written by one uh, person, uh, making this point, and, and so forth. And it was, it's a point that's not supported by the commentary of, of uh, Jiva Goswami, the immediate disciple of Rupa Goswami, but it's not entirely clear, perhaps, how it's not supported. So sometime later, Vishwanath Chakrita the, the universally accepted amongst the Gaudiya's commentator, on a couple generations after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associates, commentator on the, on the Gita, on the Bhagavatam, on Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Ujjbal Nilmani, and so forth, author of a number of books himself, um, besides his commentaries on the main texts, he settled this issue for the community of Gaudiya Vaishnavas. It was an issue that it was, it was a big issue, understanding this verse. He settled the issue. And the way he settled it is that he explained that what Rupa Goswami means here is that in our sadhaka day we should follow the Brajaloka people as they appear in their sadhaka dehas. What does that mean? Well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. So he plays a flute. And uh, he has his various ornaments and way of conducting himself. But in the Gaur-lila, which is the extension of Krishna Lila, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is coming. He's Krishna as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but he doesn't play a flute, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is certainly Krishna. He's certainly in the mood of Radha, but he doesn't play a flute. He did other things. And his immediate Krishna's associates, like Rupa Manjari, Lalita Saki, Vishaka, all these gopis, they come with Krishna when he comes as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And they have sadhakadehas, or practitioners' bodies, through which they show us the way to engage a practitioner's body in such a manner that the siddha internal body will, will arise in due course. And then, as it does, there's a way that that body should be con- conducted, and that is mentioned here, tadbhava lupsuna, karya. Hmm? That will be an, uh, an, an internal bhavadeha hmm, that follows a particular sentiment, like friendly love, like romantic love, in the footsteps, following the footsteps of the exemplars in the lila. In that internal body, with internal life, in meditation, one does lila seva and does, serves intimately. Whereas in the sadaka deha, there will always be some element of reverence because a clear example is, of course, the, the, this is what I alluded to earlier. In the Sadaka Deha, we live in an ashram as monastics. We have a guru. The guru teaches. And as the, the teacher-student relationship, while it is one of intimacy and somewhat, and, and certainly it borders on friendship, there's a difference because friendship is amongst equals. Hmm? And and you taught in many schools, and you know that the, the student and the teacher were 
equals as humans, but they weren't equals in terms of understanding of math. And sometimes you had to say, you know, no, it's not like that. It's like this. So friendship in the full sense of the term requires equality. Hmm? Um, and so when there's an imbalance in that, then in this case, in the way we're speaking about it, there's an element of reverence. So like Arjuna is the ideal student, for example, the disciple in the Bhagavad Gita. He has a friendly relationship with Krishna in Sakya Rasa, but it's tempered also by dasya. Hmm? So our relationship with our guru is one of dasya bhakti, hmm? of servitude, and bordering on friendship. It, it, it comes to some extent in, in, in that direction. And similarly, our relationship with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is like this. And he is the he is Akanda Guru Tattva. He is the founder of the Sampradaya. He is um, the Samasti Guru. Gaur and Nityananda, they are the Samasti Gurus. The Samasti Guru means like the macrocosmic gurus of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. And then in the lineage we have microcosmic gurus who represent what they embody locally. Hmm? It come to us by their arrangement. We get connected with them and so forth. And they are example that we follow. So in Gorlila, hmm, we find Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, Jiva Goswami, all these associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they had some dasya for him. Their relationship with him was, was in dasya, but they learned from him. He, they studied under him. He taught them. It's their exa- his example, as he conducted himself, hmm, in Gorlila that they followed. Hmm. So, Jiva Goswami has explained, Vishwanath has emphasized the point and made it clear for Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which has been universally accepted by the sect, that we will follow the Braj people in our sadhakadeya in the way that they have conducted themselves in their sadhakadeyas. These sadhakadeyas, of course, in Gorlila are... This is part of a lila. So the Gaur lila is, is, is sometimes referred to as sadhaka siddha bhumi. That bhumi, that land where siddhas are engaged in a lila of sadhaka, of being sadhakas. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's lila is he's a sadhaka, pursuing Krishna lila. So his associates come. They're all eternally liberated persons, but they have a, a lila as sadhakas. And that lila sets an example for persons to get involved and so forth, and as they do so, to perfect their sadhakadeha. So there is a really a transformation of this um, practitioner's body. The more the practitioner's body is made initially of two things, it's made constituted of. Well, think about it. Much as it's made up of senses and the mind, and its senses and mind are preoccupied with the enjoying spirit and sense objects, then it's part of the material world. As much as the senses and mind are engaged in spiritual sense objects in the service of Krishna, it starts to take on a different quality. And, it, and, and, and gradually it fully becomes absorbed only, in other words, the senses and mind are only engaged in Krishna's service. We use the senses, like the tortoise, if it serves Krishna, I'll use it, otherwise no. Like this. That, when that sadhaka deya is perfected, as it becomes perfected, proportionately, in, 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 in measure, the siddha deya starts to arise, naturally, within. Not in a forced way, but naturally, within. Hmm? 
This Siddha Deya ultimately is, as I say, is a Bhava Deya. So it's a, it, it, it really manifests fully in Bhava. And what is Bhava? Bhava is a liberated condition from material existence. The Sadaka Deya is perfected. In Bhava, the devotee becomes, becomes Satya Sankalpa. What, what they desire with regard to Lila Seva, for example, internal Seva, becomes a reality. So it's clearly mentioned, for example, mentioned, for example in the sutras, in Vedanta Sutra. The liberated soul can manifest the body hmm, in accordance with the uh, the will or the lila of Bhagawan to serve in a particular way within there. That has the Baba has that power. Sadhana Bhakti doesn't have that power hmm, to manifest such a body, but it has power if we use it properly to foster that and bring us to Baba. At a certain point, the ingress of Baba will come. Then this internal culture is hands-on. Therefore, Bhava Bhakti is a sadhana as, in a sense as well. It has elements of siddha and elements of sadhana in it. The sadhaka deha, up to this, you, you want, you, you, in a general sense, of course, what you practice as a sadhaka is what you will attain in your sadhya and your goal. So from the very beginning, as early as possible, much as you have understanding from guru and scripture and so forth, you will want to pursue a particular ideal. The particular ideal here in general is I want to enter the Brajlila. The specifics of that will become more, more uh, will, will manifest as the sadhaka deya is, first of all, emptied out of unwanted things from the heart. Hmm? Then there's room for the, this sarup shakti to, to come in, and uh, and so to speak, manifest the desire within us that will be cultivated in ruchi and asakti. These later stages, primarily of sadhana bhakti, then you uh, kind of we graduate from sadhana bhakti into bhava bhakti, and then, as I say, this internal culture is is, is fully the preoccupation at that time fully preoccupied and incapable of sitting and while chanting, because after all, in the Nam is the Rupa, the Guna, and the Leela of Krishna. Now you chant and maybe you fall asleep. Hmm? So <laughs> don't expect to, that you'll be serving Krishna in intimacy by chanting and falling asleep. When it, chanting is going on even while sleeping, then that's another thing. Hmm? This is when, uh, uh, when from the name one has churned out experience of the rupa, the form, the qualities of Krishna, leela of Krishna. So, the, the, for example, the form of Krishna and attendant qualities. Certain qualities of Krishna's form will be relevant to those in Sakyarasa, others to those in Madhuryarasa. These will come within in meditation. They, they will; those qualities will be the qualities one becomes attracted to in Krishna. Hmm? So there's a, there we have nam, dhyan, nam smarna, meditation on the name, and as the meditation on the name is attentive, and how can it be attentive if we have other desires and our senses are taking us in other directions? So that harnessing has to be there, that cleansing of the heart. As it becomes attentive, no other thoughts are there. And for some time, and the practice becomes steady, then the form of Krishna starts to manifest in the context of chanting. And there's a spontaneous meditation 
as the name appears in the, in, in the mind, then the certain qualities of Krishna. This is called uh, rup, uh, guna smaranam, then lila smaranam. Hmm? So, for example, Haridas Thakur, who is the exemplar of chanting, he chanted 22 and a half hours a day. Hmm? It was his practice. He didn't do archan, hmm? per se. But he was doing nambhajan. That means that that the medicine, if you will, of chanting had become food for him. He was living on that. So to enter into that, there there are different practices that will be very helpful, very useful. So we 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 want to become acquainted with those, and gradually, then. Uh, by conducting ourselves appropriately, we retire one side, the egoic, enjoying spirit, the saving spirit comes within, and love and intimacy is an internal affair that, that you, for that matter, would not want to even show externally because it would be misunderstood. Hmm? And it wouldn't be something that others could follow. Hmm? So obviously there'll be some overflowing. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu chanted and fainted passed out in a swoon and so forth. This means the the name is fully fully, um, realized in terms of its being non-different from the named. Hmm? So what's in a name? Much, much to be found in a name, but how to to approach the name Hmm? and all. This is what Rupa Goswami wants to say here. So he's saying, first we follow the example of Rupa Goswami, of our guru, of his the previous gurus and so forth, how they conducted themselves hmm, in the body that's visible to us, then mysticism will arise out of such an orientation in such a way that we associate with them internally. In, in a, the sadhaka day will pass away. The siddha day will not. In one sense, the sadhaka day will not also, because as the sadhaka day becomes perfected, then it becomes worshipable in itself. That's why we worship the gurus. In our lineage, we don't cremate the remains of the guru. We place them in samadhi, and that becomes a holy place. And uh, and we have, for example, our gurus of the past. As much as we have photographic representations of their form, we find them venerable. We keep them on the altar and so forth. So there's kind of a place in eternity for them. Hmm? At the at the same time that they are, you know, in a, in one sense. Um, uh, uh, no longer uh, manifest. They're kind of an extension of the Gorlila is the idea. So, some, I wanted to comment in this way, some clarification, further thoughts about the topics we were discussing last night. Any questions? Yeah, I feel like I really want to understand this, but you're getting close, but I keep losing your point. Could you say it with as many English words and as few foreign words as possible? This, you're talking about the Sakadeya and the other one. And okay. I keep getting lost in the, in the Okay. We have a practitioner's body. Hmm? And the practitioner's body is, well, a body of spiritual practice. And so in that regard, we have a teacher hmm? who teaches us the practice and exemplifies the practice. So by exemp- because, of, because example speaks louder than words, Right? The, the teacher's example is how what we are to follow in terms of how we use our practitioner's body. Hmm? 
okay? And he's following in the line of other teachers and so forth. So, um, so we conduct ourselves accordingly, and in that type of relationship, we have a relationship between a guru, student, and teacher, so there's some reverence and uh, to some extent and so forth. At the same time, he's teaching us about a path of love and intimacy. Hmm? And, but how to get there, practically. Now you have this particular body. It's not a practitioner's body entirely. It, it's also a material body that's, uh, 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 that has a sense of, I've been wronged, or you know, what's right, or what, you know, what I like, what I don't like. And so, so we learn from the example of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and all the gurus in our lineage, uh, who have mercifully kind of mercifully kind of shown away by example how to use the practitioner's body. So we do that, and in that body, as I say, there are some rules, there are some regulations, and so forth, and and, and so on. That said, with a particular orientation hmm, towards love and intimacy, like we see in the Brajalila. So as we do that, hmm, there are different stages in this, so as we do that, and we become, our practice becomes intense enough that there's actually a retiring of this ego and a slackening hmm, of our involvement from the world and and just the pursuing of our rambling mind, or just the rambling of our mind, and so forth. Um, you know, for example, I might wake up in the middle of the night and think, I'm hungry. Yeah. Let's uh, go and, uh, you know, uh, uh, raid the refrigerator or something. There were guys like this in, in New Vrindavan years ago. They'd get up and raid the fridge at night or something like that. But I mean, they're basically following their tongue, and their in their belly, hmm? and then they're, uh, you know, it, it, they're not conducting themselves in terms of the practitioner's body how it should be. So they want to move away from. It. As we become, um, as we develop along those lines, there's going to be some some bliss that comes from that because it's a slackening of this ego that's a, that is a is based on attachment. That's the that's the womb from which misery is born mm-hmm. and so then and we start to see differently for example we start to see the deity differently more than as a, as uh, with eyes of of love and with other people look at the deity and you say well it's nice enough or not nice at all or, or whatever but why can another devotee look at the deity and tears will come mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. another will look and and see something else mm-hmm. so there's a change that goes on gradually in that sadhakadeya. And, and at a certain point, it, 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 as we move in the very higher stages of, of sadhana bhakti, sadhana bhakti means bhakti in practice. So again, it comes from you associate with devotees and you get faith, you associate with them in a conscientious, systematic way, we find a teacher, the next stage is we do the practices, unwanted things are retired. The practice becomes steady. This is an interim goal. The practice becomes steady. And what that means is there's a whole um, lot to be said about that, how the mind is not distracted at any time and so forth. Enduring practice like this brings taste. That's when this medicine of practice, which we resist to some extent, we wrestle with, becomes food. 
I, 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 I'm living for that. I, 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 I have to take rest because my body will need rest so that I can serve, that I can get up and I can chant and, and so forth. And he, he's driven by, whenever he chants, he has, feels ecstasy. Hmm? So in that stage of practice, then this internal uh, bhavadeya, siddhadeya, starts to manifest. In other words, one starts to feel, I want to love Krishna as a friend. Hmm? He becomes attracted to certain qualities in Krishna that are described in books like this, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, that correspond with that. And so then he will concentrate on those leelas, read about those leelas with great relish, hmm? um, and chant um, songs that correspond with that feeling that have been given by great acharyas who are in that sentiment, for example. Hmm? And he'll be cultivating that feeling directly and hands-on hmm? while doing externally spiritual practices. And then the rules, he still follows, but they're just kind of like without thinking about them. Now they've become like second nature. Hmm? And they set an example for other people, but he really has this driving spirit that even sometimes might make him in, in, in madness, uh, do things that other people who have not reached that stage wouldn't do. Hmm? Um, and so the, the, then these, this, this reverence is being crossed over. Hmm? Um, there's a need for these regulations at a certain point. He doesn't need, but, but he, he does them anyway, just naturally. But there may be some crossing over at times. And this stage is, is of taste, how do we know someone has a taste? Well, we, you know, we, we, we see what they're preoccupied with, but we see also what they're not preoccupied with, hmm? what, they've, what they don't care about. They, they don't have any taste for followers, for, for money, for all these things. So, Then that ruchi stage, this is the beginning of the real, this real internal life, so to speak. And the stage before that, in the stage of steadiness, also one will consistently get some bliss. That, that stage... The, the, the mind will not be deviated because his spiritual intelligence is very strong. Hmm? And so the mind might f- propose something, but intelligence won't allow it. In, in the stage after steadiness, the stage called taste, then the taste is driving. Hmm? Taste develops into a t- what we call attachment. This is wrong, but it's now attachment for Krishna. And in a particular way, Hmm? as a friend or as a lover. and That attachment, what does that attachment do? Attachment to material things, what does it do? I often say our I is informed by our my. Right? My attachments forms an identity. My desires form an identity. It's a false identity. Now when my heart has become cleansed, I have no material desire. Hmm? Now I have a taste for bhakti. Now I have attachment for Krishna. An identity starts to form on the basis of that attachment. Hmm? And it's a particular attachment in a particular way. So where will that identity manifest? This manifests internally hmm? and takes over the mind. And so this identity that is suitable for serving in Krishna Lila starts to take over the devotee. And then from the stage of asakti, or attachment, it's the last stage of bhakti in practice, he enters into bhakti in ecstasy. And then 
his or her practice primarily in that stage constitutes this internal cultivation of this. He'll read the text and he'll, he'll get certain sentiments and feeling, go back and think about the philosophy in certain ways and, and then the, the chanting is there and so forth. And, if, and it, it fosters it. And, and then he'll find in those devotees some generally kind of, they, they won't as much be involved in archan hmm, as much as, uh, as it may be good for um, practitioners and so forth. And there's a slackening of guidelines that are meant to foster love when love manifests, so to speak. And so this was the, the, the same, um, when we started out saying that, that there was a man who resolved, um, a man who was very highly respected and who had the attention of all of the Vaishnava community, the Gaia Vaishnava community, mm-hmm. that resolved the question, um, you said there was a sect that had of people who were imitating the Gopis, Yeah. you resolved us, and this, this is the same point? Yeah. So how do how we connect those two now? How we connect those two, okay. What he thought was, this verse says they should follow the the gopi people, Brajaloka, means the gopi, the gopis. Okay. It says you should serve in a, in a practitioner's body and a perfected body, hmm, and serve the gopi people. Hmm. Um, but um, what he misunderstood is that the gopi people, okay, the gopis, they have two bodies. They have the they have go, the bodies they appeared in Krishna Leela, right? as gopis. And then they have the bodies in which they appear when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you know who Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, right? Of course. Right. Okay, so he had associates like Rupa Goswami who wrote this book. Rupa Goswami in his internal body is a gopi. Hmm? But he also has a form that corresponds with Chaitanya's Leela. And in that Leela he appears as a practitioner. Hmm? And in that that is the Leela that shows the way to enter Krishna Leela. Gaur Leela is showing the way to enter Krishna Leela. So we follow Rupa Goswami in terms of that form hmm, and that lifestyle in our practitioner's body. We don't, by contrast, follow what Rupa Goswami's form as a gopi does in our practitioner's body. We do that with the internal body as it ar- arises. With our practitioner's body, we follow the example he set in his practitioner's body. So this fellow said, you know, we should, we're supposed to follow the gopis. So he put on a sari and so forth. And, and then it was said, no, 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 no. You follow the gopis, but you follow the gopis in terms of how they appear in Chaitanya's Leela, where they're teaching how to, go, how to become a gopi. You don't become a gopi just by putting on a dress. It's not like that. It, 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 it may look like that when you draw the picture, hmm? but that picture is pretty profound. There's a philosophical canvas behind it that says you know, that you have to let go of the material ego and all these things and, and get bhava, and, and, and this is a bhava deha. You don't just decorate your, your present body with a sari and think you're a gopi and start acting like one. Hmm? How you will act? How the, exactly how the gopis act when they come here with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to teach by example. Do you follow? Okay, so I think so. I think I did get it. So in the Garli, then, there's not gopis. Right. Uh, right. In the Garli, then, so we're asked to, to follow the practitioners. Right. In the Garli, then, and then that will prepare us to enter the Krishna world. That's right. Okay. I, internally, in a, in a, in a Bhavadeha. And, 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 and yeah, it's a fact. In Gaur Leela, 
we have all these associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They all have some dasya for him. You know, stay in the front dasya. They all have dasya for him, and and they're all following him and chanting with him and so on and so forth. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is Krishna in Radha's mood, but he's not dressed like Radha. He was dressed as a sannyasi. And I also mentioned that that while I say they're practitioners, Rupa Goswami, for example, uh, these gopis. They're practitioners, but it's a leela where siddhas are playing the leela, the, the game, the, the, like playing as sadhakas, and by that teaching us. In other words, they're not sadhakas like, like Madhu Mangal is a sadhaka. Hmm. They're actually siddhas. Do you understand? Yeah, but they are conducting themselves as sadhakas should to set an example for us. And of course, they're super sadhakas. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 everything that happens is supposed to happen in sadhana bhakti happens for them whenever they do it. Whereas for you, it may take many times to get the or someone else the, the result that hmm, can come potentially from any particular devotional activity. I know it's complicated, so I, I appreciate the fact that you you didn't just go away and say not understand it, but ask for clarification and so forth. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's the stuff that comes up again and again, and you you follow right on Dharma. It's, it's, uh, it's, and 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 it's a, there has there are shades of this uh, misconception that come up, even though this issue has been settled hundreds of years ago. There are shades of it that come up because this idea of serving and intimacy is a very esoteric idea, and um, and the Siddhadeha, it's a very um, esoteric idea. Sometimes it's spoken of as a mentally conceived body, the internal body. But that's a mentally conceived body of a mind that has been taken over by bhava. Hmm? That has power. You understand? That mind has power to manifest a form suitable for serving in Krishna Leela. Hmm? This mind doesn't. (laughs) That's why that internal culture is much more relative to bhava bhakti than sadhana bhakti. But the end stages of sadhana bhakti where the mind has been tamed and some beginning ingress of bhava is coming, then it becomes a suitable time for hands-on internally cultivating that. Otherwise, before we reach that stage, we just hit, like I say, we come to the, here's a map, here's your goal. I want to be a cowherd friend of Krishna and I'm here now. Okay, I've got that. You can read Jaiva Dharma, Bhakti, bhakti Thakur. Two students came and they had been studying Bhagavatam and so forth. He said, what is your attraction? He said, I like the way of following the coward boys. The other said, I like the way of following the gopis. And he talked to them. He said, okay, you follow that way, you follow that way. Got that settled. Then he just engaged them in hearing, chanting, planting Tulsi, uh, cooking and so forth. At the end of their sadhana, that's described in the book, hmm? then they began this, this internal cultivation of their aspiration, hands-on, hmm? so to speak. Not in the beginning. They don't have the power to. They don't have the taste to. So, so much for the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you know there are there are rules. Really means really means the 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 um, understanding sadhana bhakti. Then in any particular ashram, there may be also ways to do things and 
that generally correspond with that. There may be some relativity to them, but then we and as it, when in Rome, do as the Romans, something like that. Anything else? Any other question? Do you understand Gokul Chandra? Mangalda? No, you've heard this before to some extent, right? Okay. Sri Rupa Goswami Prabhupada Ki Jai. Sri Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu Ki Jai. Gaur Nitananda Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai.